beautiful people. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. It's a podcast show that uses travel to highlight stories of personal growth. So each week we'll spotlight the stories of courageous world travelers, creative wanderers, and digital nomads who share their incredible experiences of the world through their eyes. If you like traveling, this is what you need. So tune in. beautiful people welcome to chronicles abroad i'm francis and i'm nubia and we are sitting here today with tadre monier did i say that correctly <laughs> I, str- I was like struggling a little bit it's a very beautiful name yes thank you so much welcome thank you so tadre thank you for being with us sure. and i have to say that you are a fashionista Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give us a little yes. background on your fashion history. Okay. Well, I actually was in the Peace Corps um, way back in like 98 to 99 in Namibia. And I was the most isolated volunteer in the country. And that just gave me a lot of time to think, just gave me a lot of time to just have those silent moments. Long story short, I went to sleep one night and I had a dream that I owned a women's shoe store and that it was called Wild Women Wear Red. Now, prior to that, I had um, acquired a JD in international human rights law. I had a BA in sociology and African studies. There was nothing about my academic history that would lead me to fashion. But as fate would have it, um, about two weeks later, I was evacuated from my site due to a civil war in Angola. And at the time I was engaged. And so I told my then fiance, I said, look, I have this dream. I want to open this store. He said, hey, that's in perfect alignment with what I wanted to do with a friend of mine. And I support you. So when I was evacuated, I moved back to D.C. I started working for a local nonprofit that I had worked with before I left. And we got a new executive director, wasn't filling him, wasn't filling his program. So I was like, you know what? Let me focus on this dream. And I opened the shoe store and that began my most formal foray into fashion. But prior to that, like when I think back, my mom was a big influence. She had me in fashion shows and she used to have bespoke dresses made for me and that type of thing. So it all kind of just played a part. So from the boutique, as um, I was expressing to Francis, it was on U Street in Washington, D.C. I got the opportunity to style people. I got the opportunity to really explore the buying world. And uh, that was pretty much my introduction into the fashion world. And then um, started doing um, independent buying consulting, retail consulting. I worked for big box retailers, that sort of thing. It's pretty much it. Now, I'm actually, I've been asked to represent a line called Zeitgeist, which is, it's a jewelry line, very avant-garde. The, um, the designer is based in Turkey, or she's in Germany, but she is Turkish. So there's lots going on here. <laughs> and I'm actually thinking... Damn, you said U Street, though. Yeah. Let's bring that back. Okay. For those that don't know DC, U Street is where it's at. So for you to be a Black woman mm-hmm. owning a boutique shop on U Street, you already was the shit. 
Okay. So I'll just congratulate you for there. And, you. and that was your first time owning a business that had anything to do with fashion. Yes. I think that's amazing. So is yes. that what led you to create your YouTube channel, Stylish for Love? Because it started it as a fashion and then it turned yes. into a travel channel and all this other stuff. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, I came here to Zanzibar because I was like, this would be a great launching point for me to focus on Off the Beaten Path, which is a web series that's about international travel and fashion. And I wanted to focus on that specifically and use Zanzibar as my launching point. But I'm finding I'm having to be very creative in my approach with fashion here. There aren't very many fashion designers. They're mostly tailors. And then also there's the language barrier as well. So, you know, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning and I, I have all of these ideas about how I want to capitalize on the fashion here. The way that the women adore themselves is so beautiful. And what I w was thinking about doing was actually putting up a notice and just saying, you know, come out in your best, having a very well lit area and having local people just come through in their best, like what they would wear to a wedding and, um, and, and basically making a, a YouTube video off of the local fashions. And then also, of course, posting them on Instagram as well. Okay. That's amazing. Last week I interviewed a local designer called Waze. So I'm looking forward to editing that. That sounds amazing. So how did you decide on Zanzibar as the next place that you were going to live? You know, I came to Zanzibar for my birthday in 2016. Okay. And I stayed in Stonetown, which is, I guess, like the capital of Zanzibar, right? And I absolutely loved it. I love the architecture. I love the food. Um, I loved all the attention that I got from the brothers at the time I was living in Los Angeles. And I don't know if you've been to Los Angeles, but it can be a little iffy. The dating market can be iffy, particularly for Black women. So when I came here and I got all the attention, I was just loving the island vibe. I was like, you know, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So then fast forward to 2017 and I get laid off. <laughs> it was so funny because I thought they was calling me in the office to give me a promotion. Ooh, girl. <laughs> and I was sad. I was just like... <laughs> I was so ready. And they're like, you know, we're letting you go. And, you know, they blamed it on the market or what have you. But I was just like, you know what? I'm going to use this opportunity to go back to Zanzibar. I totally resonate with that because the same shit happened to me. I got laid off mm -hmm. the beginning of 2017. And the sad part about this one is I was on a 10-day vacation in Portugal. The day I came back to work was the day they laid me off. I was like, you could have wow. told me this shit while I was in Portugal. <laughs> wow. That would have <laughs> like, ruined your vacation, though. I probably would have just extended it. <laughs> like, all right, I voila. mean, you know what I Thanks. mean? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I definitely feel you on that. You know, I came back to the States because I had to go to work. If I didn't oh, really technically okay. have to go to work, then I would have been good. I knew at that point that I didn't want to be there anymore. So I was already setting mm. myself up to leave the beginning of 2018, where okay. for you, you were completely like blindsided. I was already giving them the deuces. <laughs> so for them to give the deuces first, 
was great because I was like, okay, now I can apply for unemployment. Thank you for my severance package. <laughs> had I left on my own, I wouldn't have had those benefits. Right, right, exactly. I definitely had those benefits for sure. Yeah, it was it was crazy because I was working um, as an online stylist for an e-commerce startup. And I actually had an interview with one of our sister companies and I was like, you know, do I really want to do this again? Do I really want to commute? early in the morning? Do I really want to fight traffic? Do I really want to go through the interview process, searching for jobs process? Do I really want to be in an office with dealing with office politics? Because that's the real reason why I was let go. <laughs> you know, and I was like, no. Mm -mm. But there was like a, a weird period where the unemployment ran out and I had no money. <laughs> and fortunately, <laughs> yes. Yes. So fortunately, I had uh, I met an African-American sister based here. She's actually from Philly. And she was like, well, can you write? Here's an opportunity. You can do freelance writing. So that's what I do to pay the bill. That's awesome. The trick for me is finding time for my passion. And what I have been struggling with is like, did I really come all the way to Zanzibar to be working eight hours a day doing something that I'm not passionate about? We cannot repeat this here. You know, we have to lay a new foundation. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that because I was living in Thailand. I left Thailand, visited the States and went back and started living in Japan. And I was like, wait a minute. This is just like living in the States. Because, you know, Japan's work culture is pretty much they work you until you mm. just pass out. So I was like, this is not what I came for. This is not what I came to live abroad to do. And I had to reevaluate mm -hmm. that whole situation because, you know, old habits are sometimes hard to break. And, you yes. know, when you get accustomed to that kind of lifestyle, sometimes, it, you know, part of that process of going to a different, completely different environment is to relinquish yourself from those old habits. And it's easy to get caught yes. up again. So I totally resonate with that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Sure. I think the most important thing about if you're going to live a life that you want, don't try to sacrifice your happiness. You get what I'm saying? Mm. I'm at this place in my life where I'm not doing anything that isn't going to be right for me. I might not like, like wow. I teach. It's not something that I set out to do, but it pays the bills and I don't do it often. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. So okay. I get it. How has Zanzibar worked for you since you, how, matter of fact, how long have you been there? I've been here seven oh, months. Oh, okay. So you fresh. I'm fresh. Oh, right. Although I don't feel fresh. <laughs> I don't feel ha, fresh. Did you come alone? <laughs> I did. Wow. For you. Nice. What about you guys? Did you guys come alone? We did. We came separately alone. Okay. And, but I had already known Francis. So, you know, okay. it was almost a year, I guess you could say, before you moved here. Yeah, because... I was living in Japan and I got tired of freezing my butt off. So I was like, let me go, let me go and get oh. out of here real quick. Cause I have choices. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we forget we have choices. That's right. That is so right. We do have choices. Exactly. How has it been? How has it been on which front? Just overall, like the your quality period, of health, yeah. your adjustment. I mean, you're fresh. When I say six months, seven months, it still takes time to be like, wow. I'm living yeah. in yeah. I'm in another country. I would I say. Trying to navigate the Like, land. this is it. I'm not yes. on vacation. You know, we're more than just travel. We provide tips, 
resources and hacks for the curious traveler in you. So whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change, we have something for everyone. You know, I would say overall, Zanzibar is really, really working for me. Um, I just did a post about the fresh fruit and and the raw spices here, which are amazing. You can make the simplest dishes and they taste so flavorful, so damn good here. And just off the strength of how fresh everything is, it's non-GMO, there's no steroids in it, there's no antibiotics. I've lost like 30 daggone pounds and it's not like I've been trying to lose weight because I like my shape, I like being curvy and thick. But literally like this skirt that I'm wearing, I cannot get into in the States, but I'm swimming in it now. So, you know, my challenge here on the weight front is not to be skinny fat. That's my challenge. Um, (laughs) You know, as far as the money, the conversion works pretty well, even though there is a a high inflation. So uh, what is it? One dollar is equal to about 2200 tanzanian shilling so if i live like a local person i can really ball out the problem is is tadre likes cheese and tadre likes butter and tadre wants interior decor you know (laughs) tadre likes these things so you know just trying to figure that out and then you know when people they call uh foreigners mzungu so you know trying to avoid the mzungu tax so if i can avoid that if i can successfully negotiate for my goods and services without having to pay them Zungu tax, and I'm on point. But like, let's just keep it real, right? I pay $300 a month for rent. I have a two-bedroom home. I rent out the master bedroom, so that supplements my income. You know, I have women come that clean. I pay them $15,000, which is like $7.50 to clean. So on that front, it is working, but it's pricey. It's expensive to travel in Africa. So that's been my challenge. Like Mm -hmm. I came here to go across the world and show unique uh, bazaars and shopping and designers throughout the world. But I need to have the income to travel. And also I've been struggling with the production value of my web series. I've been doing it all myself. So definitely need to upgrade my equipment there. Mm But as far as working in Zanzibar for expat, for local people, that has been like, I have not been feeling that at all. I've had some really weird interactions with like, um, for example, one uh, expat, I think is of Indian descent, mm-hmm. but from Europe, she's but Spanish. And she sat there during the interview and told me how I was uh, genetically superior and smarter than the locals because I'm genetically mixed. <laughs> and I was just oh, like, what? It's like, it's just crazy stuff that happens. You know, uh, what they think of women. This is a Muslim country. So me trying to negotiate my salary, that's like a no-go. They basically just want you to take whatever they throw at you. Mm. Um, And they consider it to be rude to try to negotiate your salary when you're in this type of packaging. So let me ask you, Mm -hmm. did you do any of this research prior to moving over? Okay. So no, I did. That, that's okay because I mean, when I moved to Thailand, I yeah. didn't do that much research. I wanted to just go in there without any biases. 
and really just figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even have an intention to move into Thailand, so I never researched it. I get it. But would you say that this is like the downside of living in Zanzibar? Perhaps. But I, you know, I meditate and I belong to Agape Spiritual Center. And one of the things that I've been focusing on is shifting my paradigm. So my pastor said last week, when you shift your paradigm, the world will bend. So right now it's a non-issue for me. When it first happened to me, I was livid. Mm -hmm. I was talking to myself about it. I was talking to other people about it, but now it's a non-issue. And as I'm experiencing more contrast through freelancing, I'm also a a believer of the uh, law of attraction. So as I'm experiencing more contrast, I'm just shaping my world. So I'm in the house and I'm writing eight hours a day and just lamenting my life. And then I walk 60 seconds and there's the beautiful Indian Ocean in front of me and I have to be grateful. And I say, oh, my God, I actually live here. When I worked in Santa Monica, California, I had a 30 minute lunch. It would take me 10 minutes to walk to the beach, you know, 10 minutes to walk back, gobble down your food. So I need to be thankful. But when I shifted my paradigm, I started getting these calls for offers to do things that were in alignment with what I want to do. Yes. So that's where that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I think that's, (laughs) that is, that is amazing. That's a true testimony to what, you know, it takes when you put yourself first and you stop and you allow yourself to let go, you know? Yeah. Because we always talk about people coming abroad with expectations or American expectations. Yeah. And then they get upset. Yeah. So we try to tell people because you need to give yourself at least three months to kind of get irritated with the locals, the culture. But once you get past that hump, it's just beautiful after that. Because I know when I first got to Thailand, I was just very frustrated because I just didn't understand why they did the things that they did sometimes. But but once I got past that and realized this isn't, it's not about me, you know what I mean? It has nothing to do with me. And when I started appreciating those differences, I started to have a much better time, much better experience. Mm. And we tell people that all the time, just be okay with going through those growing pains because on the other side of that, it's going to be a really beautiful cultural experience for you. For me, whenever I go to a new country, I'm always like, oh my God, oh my God. It's like everything, everything's a novelty. Everything's gorgeous and beautiful. At the three month mark is where I start to get irritated. (laughs) That's where, that's where my challenge is. But then, like you said, once you get past that, then it's cool. I think one of the things I had to deal with or reconcile with is the fact that there is no utopian community. There is no perfect place. And, you know, I came here. I'm not even going to lie. Like, we're not going to have a surface conversation here. I came here like, okay, I'm going to meet my husband. Hey. <laughs> oh, is he? And, you know, I'm not trying to be in a situation where I'm supporting anybody. I want to be supported. And I was meeting all of these beach boys, all of these, like, professional gigolos who hustle foreign women for whatever they could get out of the situation. That was like, okay, where are the real brothers at? Yeah. <laughs> at one of those moments. But, you know, now I'm just in a space where I'm just patient and I'm waiting and I'm just keeping my vibration high so I can attract the being that I want. That's the truth. Yeah. I mean, so one thing about Zanzibar, when I think about it, I think of the white sand beaches 
the beautiful blue water, you know, like that's the only thing that comes to mind. You know, we realize back in the States is when you say a country, depending on how it was depicted in media is how people perceive that country to look like. So what is the misconception that people have in the States about Zanzibar? I think that the water, the blue water, the white sandy beaches is very accurate. Um, but when you said white sandy beaches, the first thing I thought of was the fact that I've been wrestling with starting a waste management program because waste management is an issue. It's an issue throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the world, definitely more visible in the developing world. Right. So my beaches, depending on the tide are not always so clean, you know, and I'm looking at bottles and and old clothes and every manner of waste on my beaches. So I was even, I was on the beach the other day exercising and uh, we have coral rock Mm -hmm. underneath our feet and it line the beaches. And sometimes when the waves come in, the trash is lodged into the coral rock. And I was thinking some of that could be my trash because the way I get rid of my trash is I literally walk to the top of a hill and I dump it, you know, and eventually someone comes along and they burn it or they they go through my trash and they reuse it. But the government doesn't have any money for waste management. So throughout Africa, this is what is done. I don't know about in Thailand, but, same, same. you know, in Namibia, we used to, yeah. In Namibia, we used to dig a hole in the backyard and every week we would just burn the trash. So I'm, you know, I'm also coming to grips with the fact that I'm in the particular space and time that I'm in, not just to receive, but to give and realizing that the universe has put me in in certain spaces and times to give as well. And I was literally walking on the road yesterday and that popped into my head and these little babies were trying to cross the busy road and they didn't know how to cross. And one of them almost got hit by a car and I prevented that and I helped them across the street. And it was just like, okay, am I going to move full force (laughs) and and commandeer this waste management program for my village? Or am I going to just focus on what Tadre wants? So to answer your question, yes, the beaches are beautiful, but for how long? And that's the same in a lot of countries. mm -hmm. I think the same Mm -hmm. in Thailand, Indonesia, I would say throughout Asia and Africa. Uh, Waste management is a huge issue. In Thailand, we do have a truck that comes by. It's considered a waste management truck, but it's a pickup truck. And they just, they're locals and they just come pick up your bag. And I'm sure they go into the mountain regions or whatever and they burn it. Of course, after they go through it and all of that stuff, they'll burn it. So even when I was in Belize, I seen the same thing. You would look and there was just trash. And you're like, oh my gosh, a recycling plant would be so, would do so well here. You know, Mm -hmm. because these countries have a lot of plastic. They have a lot of aluminum and plastic and they just don't utilize, you know, recycling the way that they should because they don't know how. Yeah. You know, Thailand being a place that hasn't been colonized, they don't, you know, there's no system for it. It's just they do what they do and how they do it. Yeah. But the beaches do become polluted, you know, and then that's why they're starting to close some of the beaches down to Mm. preserve it because I can only speak for Thailand right now, but... There's an overabundance of tourism Mm -hmm. in the islands. And that creates a huge mess, which then, you know, unfortunately, but it pollutes the ocean and our beaches. 
and something needs to be done, period. That's all I can say. Yeah. It's just that whole conscious tourism. That's why whenever you're traveling, it's just being aware of that. And I don't think people, you know, they go on a vacation. They don't want to think about stuff like that because they want to relax. However, it's it's really important that when you go to someone else's country, someone else's home, that you treat it with respect. That's just my yeah. opinion. For sure. Yeah. So let me ask you, were there any things that maybe would have prevented you from moving to Africa as a single black female? You know, because when people say, like, I'm going to Africa of course, everybody in the States is like, what? By yourself? You know, so <laughs> how did you navigate that? Oh, uh, well, for me, I don't think anybody was really surprised okay. <laughs> because I am who I am. And I kind of, you know, I just move with, with the spirit, to be honest with you. I think people are just like, okay, more like, well, when is this going to happen? You know what I mean? But I had been coming to Africa since undergrad, studied abroad at the University of Ghana, and then I had worked in South Africa and Namibia, different places. So You were familiar. um, Yeah, I didn't get any backlash from that. Um, But there was nothing that would prevent me from coming to Africa unless it was just like civil war everywhere. I will say that about Africa, I've always felt at home which is more than what I can say about L.A. D.C. is one of those places that like immediately when I landed, I felt like I belonged there and I was like, I will be back. And I went back and I lived there for 13 years. Madrid is another one of those places in Africa for me. Everywhere in Africa, I felt like, oh, I belong here. This feels right for me, except for Namibia. That was like the only place. So when I thought about where will I go, because obviously I had friends in Europe I was like, I'm not moving to France to experience more of the bullshit that I I experienced in the U.S. You know, I'm moving to Africa where I'm accepted, where I belong. But with that being said, I've had encounters here from uh, from locals and from expats. But it's like whenever I want to have a more upscale experience and I walk into spaces and places where we're not supposed to be there, I encounter challenges. When you say that you're not supposed to be there, what does that mean? That means like they just don't expect black people to be up in there, you know, and I hesitate mm-hmm. to use the word black because people here don't define themselves as being black. It's more like a, a nationality or ethnic group. But, you know, I wanted to have an upscale experience. I currently live in a village where we have goats and cows and chickens, et cetera, et cetera. There was this place, Upendo, that was like, we doing soul, um, what's it called? Soul brunches on Sunday. They were serving up sushi. They had a DJ, blah, blah, blah. I get there. I'm the only black person there. It's not working. And all eyes are on me. It's an outdoor setting on the ocean. And, you know, I had to like reinforce myself, reinforce the energy around me to protect myself from all of these eyes on me that were wondering, like, what is she doing here? And I literally chose an area was a swing bed, something that you would like find in Miami. And I had people trying to usurp my space, being disrespectful of my space. And I was like, you know, I asked this woman from Spain, if I went over and sat with your family and didn't speak, didn't introduce myself and just sat down, would that be acceptable for you? So, um, <laughs> She didn't like that, but eventually, like, she left my space, and I was thinking to myself, well, if I cannot be, and that's B-E with a capital B-E, if I cannot be in America, and I cannot be in Africa, 
where can I be? Where can you be? So I've had the I've had these moments just trying to reconcile that and they reoccurred. (laughs) They reoccurred. I would never had even thought that. Well there's a real from what I've heard, especially in South Africa, I don't know much I've never been to Africa, but there is that separation. There is this whole whether it's social class racial class like there is that separation between white south africans and melanated africans so i'm not surprised to hear that you had that experience yeah yeah for sure and you know then there's the swahili people that work for you know the italians or whoever and they their job is to protect and so when they see me coming even when i speak with an american accent it's like oh hold on you know, they bring out the guards. Where are you going? What do you want? I'm like, oh, I want to see a room. I'm interested in this, that, and the third. Like, could you possibly? I actually got into a shouting match with a French guy who did not want me at his really cute boutique hotel. And his staff came up to me later, like months later, they saw me on the road and they were like, we're so happy that you confronted him because he doesn't want black people in his hotel unless they're working for him. And I'm like, he done gave up everything and moved all the way to Africa to open this really cute space. And he does not. Exactly. And so they were telling me like, when Kenyans come, when, when black South Africans come, he doesn't like it. So he figured out a way to, to get me up out of there and literally like put his hands on me to try to do me out of his space. And so, you know, as, and, and I think like if I was in a male body, if I was a bigger stature, would I have had to deal with this? You know, if I had a man with me, would I have to deal with it? I was about this? to say that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's moments like those that are frustrating. But like I said, mm-hmm. realizing that there is no utopian community and no place is perfect. You're going to have to get in where you fit in no matter where you go. So me, I'm But just, just to mm-hmm. kind of go back to what Francis said, Zanzibar <laughs> is not considered South Africa. Mm-hmm. Correct? It's considered East. No. No. It's East, it's East and it's part of Correct. Tanzania. So it's kind of like Puerto Rico. Yeah, and it's around it. You have Kenya close by, you know, and some other places. Mm-hmm. So so when I was saying, I'll go back to Francis's comment is, yes, there's a lot of white South Africans and people know this. But when you think and you talk about all the other places in Africa outside of Northern Africa, okay, because that's a whole different subject. <laughs> You really do think predominantly black, predominantly local or native culture. So it's so surprising to me that you are dealing with these issues in East Africa. Like, I'm in awe. I'm just like, what? I know that there is issues with classism between what they call blacks and colors in Africa. You know, the coloreds are the ones that have some kind of mix of European blood, where the Blacks are considered inferior to the coloreds. I know that. But just to have a European or a white African say that you're not welcomed here unless you're working for me in 2018 is disturbing to me. I lose my shit. Well, let me just say that, let me just clarify, there aren't very many South Africans here on the island and the people, the the Europeans that are here, I would say are predominantly Italian and just various parts of Europe. And they're not African, they're European nationals. They may have a residency status here. 
So in regards to the ethnic makeup here, you have Arabs, you have Indians, and you have what people call Swahili. The Swahili is such a general term, but the Swahili people, they probably define themselves as mixed with Mm -hmm. Arab ancestry, but they do have a history of Persian colonization, Indian influence, Arab influence. So on the island, the people um, can be lighter skinned. They remind me of African-Americans in that they vary in hue. In shade, okay. Yes. On the mainland, you find that people are darker. They were colonized by the Germans, but they speak Swahili as well. But on this island, because of the Arab influence, the Swahili has like mixtures of Indian languages, also Persian languages um, as well. Uh, They practice Islam. So I knew before I came here that there was a, how can I put it delicately? I knew before I came here that the people here for the most part identified as Arab. If you think back to our grandparents and how... Everybody wanted to claim this white or Native American grandmother, right? That's kind of how it is here with people claiming Arab ancestry. Okay, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> hmm. So as far as this we, whole... We got a history lesson, man. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, I had to take a deep breath on that one. I was just like, what? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's just like what you said. There is no utopia. You got to figure out what are the pros and cons and what is it that you need at this moment in your life and what's yeah. going to work best for you. Yeah. You know, I've been in Asia for two years, going on three years, and I know my time is is running up at this point, and I love living in Asia, but there are some things that I need that Asia doesn't provide. But you only know this until you have that experience, and yeah. what we want to say to people is, at least have the experience and then take the lessons from those experiences. And with that, what is your biggest takeaway since you've been on this journey? Wow, my biggest takeaway. I would say at this moment in time, my biggest takeaway is about paradigm shifting and just keeping my vibration high so that the bullshit doesn't hit you. I find that when I started meditating, a lot of things that would really irk me or get under my skin just like moved past me. Like I didn't even have to brush my shoulders off because it was like non-existent. And then just hearing about what's happening in the United States, people of color, with black people, with people who are of Latin descent. You know, we have to make a choice. What are we going to do? Are we going to engage in the bullshit or are we going to focus on self-care and focus on the good and love, but still be activist? So that's my biggest takeaway is focus on Tadre and what Tadre needs to do instead of outwardly focusing on external situations because they will always be there. So with what I've learned from my law of attraction teachings is like what you focus on and what you think is what will be attracted to you. It doesn't mean that shit won't happen. It just means that you understand how to conceptualize it. You'll know how to get the lesson out of the situation. No, I love that because I think what people forget is they want everything on the outside to change and it's not going to happen. Exactly. Everything starts within And once you do that, like you said, have those paradigm shifts and have those perspective changes, then the whole world just starts looking differently and people start responding to you differently because you did that. That's right. And until you do that, you're still going to have that resistance. You're still going to be suffering and you're going to be very miserable and unhappy. That's so true. I believe. That's so true. So 
you're a little over six months in and your eyes are opening up to a whole bunch of things going around you. You know, you're able to shift your paradigm and everything, which has helped you stay grounded. What's next? Do you feel like this is it? Like you've made the right choice or do you think that you're ready to move on and try something different? I'm so open to new experiences. I'm not married to Zanzibar. So, you know, if a friend of mine was like, come to France, such and such is going on, I would go. But I was actually thinking that because I miss having progressive conversations with progressive black people. I'm just going to be real. I, you know, I have friends here who are of European descent and they empathize and they're definitely more educated than the average white American on these topics of race and class and culture, et cetera. But I miss going to museums. And when I want to have these high end moments, I want to have those moments. So we'll see. I'm going to Kampala, Uganda soon, and the people in Kampala speak perfect English, and I've been told are supposed to be more sophisticated. I hate using that word, like comparing people, but they definitely have more formal education. So we'll see what that's like, but I'm very comfortable in Africa, L.A., for the most part, is a pretty clean city, I would say, and I'm a I'm a clean freak. So when I think about like moving someplace, I want it to be clean. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see trash on the ground. So yes. that would definitely be a major factor for me. And then thinking, how do they treat people that look like me? You know, sure I can float above the bullshit, but really, the last time I was in France, I was treated very poorly and. That wasn't even on my radar. I was just there to go shopping. <laughs> so. Girl, I hate it. I did not like Paris. I did not like Paris. Yeah. I love the museums and the cathedrals, but the non-existent hospitality of the Parisians was not my thing. But anyway, moving on. So I hear great things about Rwanda. Mm. I hear Rwanda has, it's a very cosmopolitan place, very modern, upscale, and there's a lot of women in power there. Mm. Have you thought about researching Rwanda? I will research Rwanda, but then, you know, I find... Having lived in D.C., having lived in L.A., I find that when you live near the beach, you do sacrifice culture. And I'm a water baby, and I want <laughs> to be by the water. So um, It's too central, huh? It's very central. <laughs> but if I go there and I'm feeling the vibe, I'll figure out a way to get there. Yeah. That is for sure. I'm definitely open to new experiences like that. But well, Ron, I mean, you got to think about it. Africa has plenty of water running through it. Let's just be clear. You might not be surrounded by the ocean. You might not but, be too far. I mean, there's tons of beautiful rivers. That's true. You know, water presence. You're right. You know? You're right. So <laughs> you just have to, it's the perception of, you know. That's true. Having either the ocean or just having water. And having water nearby is always a beautiful thing. Yes, yes. And to be real, I haven't immersed my entire body in the ocean in months. And I was just thinking today how odd it is to want something all your life and then you have it and you get tired of it. (laughs) And I mean, seriously, like that was my experience. I lived in Mallorca, Spain. I kept saying to myself when I was in D.C., all I want, all I want is to just lay on the beach. And after about three months I was tired of laying on the beach (laughs) 
<laughs> you got what you asked for, yes, girl. Exactly. So, you know, just bearing in mind what you said, it might be time to move to someplace a little bit more cosmopolitan. I mean, it sounds like you want the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. but you could also get that. It just might not be packaged the way that you thought it was going to be packaged. Yeah. But you're open. Yes. I am open. And to be honest, I haven't been very impressed with African cities. I'm just going to put it out there like that. It's like unorganized urban sprawl. Mm. And, uh, you know, you'll find a very small enclave with, you know, tall walls surrounding the premises. But then you step one foot outside of that wall and it's just chaos and it's just filth and it's dirt and it's like we said, waste management issues. So, you know, people tell me, go to Dar, go here, go there. I'm like, ah, I've been, and this is an issue. I don't want to just live in this tiny little bubble, you know, and be comfortable in that small bubble. However, I did not see that in Cape Town. Cape Town was absolutely, like, stellar. It was just gorgeous. I was going to say that would be, like, the exception, South Africa. But it's, it's expensive. It's expensive to live on the coast. You know, there's a lot of townships, but they keep their townships very in the cut. You know what I mean? But the drives through the country and the city itself is pretty clean. It's relatively clean. It has all the upscale amenities that you're looking for, the nightclubs, yes. the, the restaurants, the yes. hotels. The beaches are just phenomenal. The water is something that, I mean, the sunset is just something I've never seen in my life. It was just gorgeous. So wow. South Africa is always a, you know, an option. An option. I need to go back there as a grown adult. The last time I was there, I was probably like, I don't know, like 22. That was a long time ago. So I need to go back as a good and grown adult and experience it for myself. Yeah. One thing I'm hearing is that you are a seasoned traveler. Yeah. You're very cultured in the the places that you've been and the things that you've done. Is that something that has always been a part of your upbringing or is that something that you started doing like in college or was it the Peace Corps that started that initial international travel for you? It's interesting that you asked that because my mom kind of prepped me. Um, neither one of my parents have ever really left the country. I think uh, they've both been to the Caribbean. But my mom showed me a newspaper article when I was probably uh, in junior high school. And it was of kids, American kids, that were being educated on a cruise ship. So they would do all four years on this cruise ship and the cruise ship would go around the world. And I didn't take advantage of that opportunity, but I knew I wanted to see beyond where I was living. Mm -hmm. I had always been bused out of my community in LA and I have for the most part always been like the only black kid at the school or in my class. And what I would experience outside of my community was very eye-opening. And I remember being in high school, and this was in the late 80s, I believe. There was a famine in Ethiopia, and I remember seeing people just wasting away in front of me on CNN. And I was like, something is wrong. Something is terribly wrong where I can have and these people do not have. So when I decided to major, it was uh, majoring in sociology and minoring in African studies. So I was actually the first student to inspire Indiana University to create a foreign exchange program in Africa. I had been looking on campus and there were all these posters, study abroad in London, study abroad Mm -hmm. in Paris, study abroad in Ireland. And I was like, 
waiting for the study abroad in Africa and that poster never surfaced, I found my way to this tiny little international uh, affairs office and they were like, we're so sorry. We don't have a study abroad program in Africa, but you are reminding us that we need to create one. And so they had created a program for me to study in Malawi. I'm ready to go. They're like, ma'am, you cannot go because there is unrest on our campus and they're targeting foreign students. And I was like, but I'm black. They're not going to target me. <laughs> and they're like, we understand, but we cannot allow you to go. So I did a three-month volunteer program in Zimbabwe, building fly-proof latrines and building a women's resource center and a garden, very manual labor stuff. But that was like my first time in Africa. And it just went on from there. That's a great way to insert yourself into a new country is to volunteer, take time out and try to assist a country instead of coming and just trying to be a vacationer in a way because you get to really understand what the country is like it's so different from being a vacationer and somebody who is becoming almost like a local it's very different the impact is different both on you as an individual and on the people itself very very different at one point when i was married we were planning on moving to brazil uh, we had gone there as tourists. And before that, I had fell in love with the music. I fell in love with the dance. And I wanted to experience it for myself. Went there. I was like, okay, we need to move here. Let's put together a five-year plan. And I then got an opportunity to go back and volunteer. Uh, it was like a women-to-women -women business exchange program through the State Department. So we were kind of mentoring these Afro-Brazilian female entrepreneurs. And the second time I was like, oh, <laughs> it, was, it was like, <laughs> it was different because, you know, when you're an Afro-Brazilian, you self-identify as such and you look as such, they will straight up tell you, you cannot go in there. So people would, you know, security guards would try to bar my entrance into sushi restaurants and this, that, and the third. And, and you know, local people were telling me, like, listen, you will suffer when you come here if you don't have your own source of income. And they do this thing in Brazil where maybe they don't do it anymore. But at that time, which wasn't even that long ago, they were like, on the job posting, you must be of good appearance, which everybody knows you either need to be white or very light-skinned. That just leaves a very small margin for people. And I was like, I don't think I can live here because I would need to have my own source of income. And what I experienced from the white Brazilians there was cold. Like, it was cold. It was just like, they didn't even want my money. <laughs> It was just like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, this conversation reminds us of the stuff that we don't talk about enough. Mm. It's like, it's hard to discuss sometimes because you're going to have listeners that are from these places that are like, it's not like that. Da, 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 da. But there's a lot of truth to the classism and the racism in all over the world. It's not just America. It's all over. And just the color of your skin, you know, me being a dark skinned woman, I do think about traveling to certain places and how I'll be perceived because dark skin is not something that they're used to. I would be grateful that Thailand, I do or have gotten stares, 
but nothing ever to the point to make me so uncomfortable where I felt like I don't belong here. Mm. Europe is known for that, which is horrible. And let's just state the history facts. Europe has been the reason why the world itself is a shit show because they come in trying to colonize every fucking thing. And it drives me crazy. You know what I mean? So, you know, how dare you? Like, I'm moving to South America and people are like, don't go to Argentina. Mm. And when they talk about Argentina, they're like, they're just white Spaniards who do not like black people. And it's sad. It's so sad. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you as an individual, you have to just go see it for yeah. yourself because everybody's experience is going to be so That is very true. We say these things so that you have an idea so you don't go in there completely Blindly. naive, you know? However, regardless of what we say or what other folks say, please go and test it out for yeah. yourself. Yeah. And then make the decision. Of course. But yeah, be aware. I think that's the most important, that we all need to do your research. If you do a little bit of research and you do talk to people who live there or have spent an extended amount of time there, it gives you a little bit more of a insight. Because what happens is a lot of people who've never been to a place have always got a lot to say. You know, well, I heard. And you'd be like, well, have you been? Yeah. No. But I yeah. know people who went. And it's like, nah. <laughs> but I think a, a lot of research or a little research goes a long way. People said the same Period. thing to me about Boston. I was, you know, I had some interviews in Boston for a position with a major company there. And people were like, Tyler, you're not going to like Boston. And I liked Boston. But I will tell you, you know, the chauffeur driver that picked me up from the airport on behalf of the company was like telling me where I wouldn't be able to afford to live. And he didn't even know like who I was or, you know, he just assumed like how much money I would be making based on what I looked like in his perception. You know, I've had friends go to Paris and have a wonderful time, but they don't look African. When I go to Paris, they think I'm African. You know, so mm-hmm. like you were saying, it's about your perception and also everyone's experiences are going to be different. But if I go somewhere yeah. and I am treated as if I'm not welcome, then I don't need to stay. I'm not one of those people that exactly. is going to force myself into a situation, make anything work. That's but it's so me. funny that you mentioned Boston because we're both from Boston. I know. And yes. Boston can be. <laughs> A very racist place. Oh, yes. Absolutely. But a lot of people that visit don't see that side. We lived there. (laughs) So I grew up with it. Yeah, it does exist. (laughs) But let me ask you. So with all that we said, and people still want to make this leap, you know, what would you say to them? So it's time to dive deep and look into the holistic perspective of travel. We believe traveling is an investment in you. So our mission is to inspire you to book that flight, check that item off your bucket list and go on that adventure. And our hope is to ignite connections all over the world. Go for it. Life is what you make. Life is what you make of it. You got to get in where you fit in. 
no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. Some people are afraid, you know, some black and brown people are afraid to travel to the U.S. based on what they've seen on the news. That's Those true. things are all true, but you can also have a beautiful experience in the United States. I'm having a beautiful experience here in Zanzibar despite what is happening. In the process, I'm educating people. <laughs> and that's I'm the most important. Here. I'm also educating people on how to be treated. Um, I had a confrontation with a guard because I wanted to see this beautiful property that was on the beach. It was a hotel and he didn't want to let me see it. And I said to him, I said, you know, I hope that if you or your children ever come to the United States, you are not treated the way that I was treated. That quieted him down and that centered him. And he said, I beg, please, I beg, let me explain. And I think he went home and he thought about that. And I asked him the question. I said, if I cannot be an American and I cannot be in Africa, where can I, where can I be? And he thought about that. He said, let's not think about that. (laughs) Let's not think about that. Let's, let's not talk about that. So while I'm here and I do encounter these, and it's not every day when I do encounter it, I'm also educating people and it makes people uncomfortable. People say, why, Tadre, why did you why did you put that on Instagram? Because there is a place here is called Damani Lodge and it's owned by a Swahili guy and his European wife. And they have banned African women, black women from entering unless they have a male escort. And my homies were like, we don't understand why they did that. The assumption is if you're a black woman entering by yourself, you're a prostitute. Prostitute. I was going to say. Exactly. So that's another thing that I've been dealing with when I want to enter in these spaces. It's like, oh, she's looking for a white man. She's a prostitute, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that's the same thing here in Thailand and Bangkok. If you're an African woman, Mm. nine times out of ten you're a prostitute because you're here to get that money. So it's the same thing in a lot of places. I've never heard of them banding. Experienced that in Spain as well. This assumption that I was a prostitute, but that didn't stop me from going. That didn't stop me from having a good time. It's just that in this particular packaging, that's what I experienced. So I'm a lawyer. And when people are asking me, Tadre, why did you say that? Or why did you post that? I will always advocate for myself. That's who I am. So that's should. part of the process as well. You know, helping people, helping people get out of their own paradigm. Yeah. You know, this assumption that when I was in the Peace Corps, it was like they couldn't believe I was American. And then they're asking me about my lineage. Well, where where are your, your great great grandparents from? America. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what, what to tell you. Do they speak? You know what I mean? Like, you know, this uh, thought process that, you know, we're all unlearning yeah. the colonization. Yeah. We're all unlearning the bullshit that we were taught by society, by our parents in, in the academic world. But this assumption that brown cannot be associated with wealth or affluence or privilege. I'm breaking that down. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Coming from one dark skinned sister to another, I truly say thank you. Seriously, it. because it is something that I've had to walk on eggshells through my life, even in America, being a dark skinned child and being told, oh, you're beautiful for a dark skinned girl or whenever oh. some girl want to jump bad, she want to call you all kind of black bitches or <laughs> whatever. You know, wow. your skin tone wow. 
is never looked at as beautiful. It's always looked at as a hindrance. And we need to bring it back to mm. looking at it as beautiful. Yeah. But I will say this. I mean, sometimes if you're in Asia, they will, they'll be like, oh, you're so beautiful. They, you know, they do touch on your skin sometimes. And they're just in awe of the beauty of your skin tone. So you find that as well. Yeah, in some places. Probably some not places. China, but <laughs> Thailand for sure. But Malaysia has I a lot of China, like yeah. Indian influence. Well, you said, I think you said Asia, right? So I'm thinking like certain parts of Asia will not see black as beautiful. And there's other parts of Asia that will. Okay. Malaysia has a lot of dark people, okay. but they still look at you like the color tone is different. So they're like in awe. Because there's a lot of heavy Indian influence, and a lot of the Indians are darker. Malaysia is very dark. Um, yeah, so that's what I've uh, that's what I've run across. You know, how can people find you? I know that you are this wonderful YouTube channel called Stylish for Love, and it's a lifestyle channel. Where can people find you in the stuff that you're creating right now? So I think that the YouTube channel is the best place to start stylist for love. And there's the number four. Also, my Instagram is stylist for love as well. I'm really happy to be working with an Afro-Caribbean French <laughs> friend of mine. She's based in Mallorca, raised in Paris, parents from Martinique. And she's creating this website called Afro Nomadness. And so it's basically a consortium of women of African descent that are contributing academic articles, articles and videos and podcasts about the arts and fashion, et cetera, um, articles about our mental health. So it's called Afro Nomadness and it will launch in November, my birthday month. I am on Facebook as Tadre Mornier. <laughs> so you can find me there as well. That's beautiful. And I'm looking forward to that launch. Oh, yes. It's going to be dope because she's got women of African descent throughout the world contributing. Mm -hmm. And uh, also my handle on Twitter is Tweeting Stylist. Tweeting Stylist. Clever. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I am totally not in that Twitter world, girl. I yeah, am me so either. Like, I just I can't do it. I'm all. like, what? I just can't. How many characters? I can barely do Instagram. <laughs> but oh Tadre, thank you so much for being on thank the show. You. We really enjoyed talking thank to you. you for having so me. Thank you for having me. And if you ever want to come over to Asia, well, to Thailand specifically, make sure to hit us up. Yes, for sure. I will, and I do. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. Please support us by sharing this podcast through your social media platforms. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram and hit that like button at Chronicles underscore abroad. Find us online at our website, chroniclesabroad.com, for tips, resources, and ways we can collaborate. So don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Until then, beautiful people, thanks for listening. Music by Stephanie James and Almighty K-Rock, produced by Adam Marcus.